0: It's so, so good to be back. We're thankful for the rest. Uh, we're so appreciative to the elders for giving us that, for providing us uh, that. And so we're rested. We're excited about this new uh, ministry year. And, uh, but man, it was good to be away. But man, it is good to be back. And I also forgot how hot it is in Florida. So it's good. It's good to be back. And uh, good to be with you all. Man, the worship is so, so good. My goodness, it's so good. Um, that's probably the thing that we had to really check our hearts about when we were away. It was like, Ooh, it's not so good. Uh, some other places. But God was glorified, right? Um, all right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And Jacob already said it. Uh, what, a, what a day it was yesterday. Thank you, those who gave of your time and served um, the elderly and the shut-ins that just can't take care of, of things on their own anymore. Man, that's such a beautiful thing, and what an amazing thing uh, that that is. And so uh, we're going to look at First John 3, verses 16 through 18, but before we do, you know, I spent a couple weeks back at my uh, parents' home, uh, one week. When we, uh, when we left here, we spent a week in Orlando, and then on our way back, we spent a few days back there, and I had a lot of time to reflect over these last four weeks, and as I was with my, uh, in my parents' home, I thought what it was, I was reminded, I should say, what it was like to live in a household of six boys. Now, I'm the oldest, and there'll be a picture on the screen of our entire uh, tribe, so that's all of us, um, and uh, that, tr- that palm tree that's slanted like that was already like that before we sat on it, just in case <laughs> you're wondering. But I thought back, I was sitting there and I was thinking back to like kind of the mantra of how our house operated. And before I tell you the mantra, this is of no fault to my parents, they did their best, but, but here was the mantra, every man for himself. That was the mantra. My mom and dad would, would, would show us from God's word how that's not the right attitude. We would get disciplined for it. But that was the mantra with my brothers is every man for himself. Let me give you an example. So one of the things that was a staple in our household was pizza. And so you knew when pizza came for six boys, and I can't even remember, I mean boxes of pizza. But you knew... When that time came that you did not dare leave the table when the pizza was on the table because you would not get any pizza. Case in point, we were, I remember we had pizza on the table and you know, Orlando's known for its thunderstorms and we were having a summer thunderstorm at the time and the power went out and it was only for a few seconds and the power went out, the house went pitch black, it came on five seconds later and all the pizza was gone. Because every one of us was thinking, this is my chance, because it's every man for himself. Let me give you another example in our household. So the few times that my parents would be able to take us all to to a restaurant, and we might have the chance that we would have, um, because people still call them doggy bags, but take home take home bags, and we would take them back, and they'd be in styrofoam, and this is what we used to do. We used to write our names on those boxes, and I will not, and we used to write rhymes on the boxes, basically getting across the idea that if you touch my box, you're dead, but I won't tell you the rhymes that we did, because that would not be appropriate, but but we used to do that, and we used to put them in the fridge. Why? Because it was every man for himself. That's the way it was. That's the way we treated our cereal. That's the way we treated our stuff, everything. And like I said, don't judge my parents right now because, because we got discipline for it and everything else, but the reality was, and we joke about it now when we all get in the household, and those few times where we get in the household again and it's all of us in there, which is very rare anymore, and my parents' house isn't big enough now, but when we do it, it's like all of us are Rusty. In that mantra, because all of us live in our own households, and we're all used to, hey, I don't have to fight off everybody. So it's like all of a sudden that childhood thing starts to kick in. But I tell you that because here's the reality. We're going to see in a passage of Scripture this morning that reminds us that this mantra that we're naturally wired to have, that it's every man or woman for themselves. Like nobody taught us to do that. Our environment helped Fuel that, but nobody taught me to think that way, and nobody teaches you to think that way. That's how we are naturally wired to think every man or woman for themselves. I think about me first. And what we are going to look at in 1 John 3, verses 16 through 18, John is going to share with us that someone who has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ someone who believes and is trusted that Jesus lived a perfect life for you in place of your sinful life, died on the cross for your sins, rose again three days later, that if that's you this morning, that idea of every man or woman for themselves, though that is your nature, should not be something that you and I live by because we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, today, if you were not involved in yesterday, today is just another opportunity in this week where we kick off this amazing week that I know this church has done for many, many, many years. But if you are like me, when you do something every year, it's easy to forget the why behind the what. And that's what I want to do this morning, is remind us why. Why should we love others? Why should we care for others less fortunate than ourselves? Why should I not think of myself first and everyone else second? Why? And I want to give you the definition of love, the definition that I came up with this morning. Because the title of this message is, do you know what love is? So here's the title of, or here's the definition of love that I came up with. Here it is, if you're taking notes. Willingly... Self-sacrificing for the good of another without any strings attached. Did you get that? And every word is important. Willingly. Like, not motivated out of guilt. Willingly self-sacrificing for the good of another without any strings attached. In other words, you're not doing something, loving someone, hoping for reciprocation. You're not loving someone so that you can get what you really want. That's called manipulation. No, love is, according to what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, and according to what we see Jesus Christ demonstrate for us through the gospel, it is willingly self-sacrificing for the good of another with no strings attached. And here's the idea that I want you to get this morning. How you love reveals... Who I love most. How I love others reveals who I love most. Think about it. Think about this last week. Think about how you loved those in your household. It reveals who you love most. Did you love them because or demonstrate an act of good to them or love to them with the idea that I'm doing this so that this will happen? Because how I love others reveals who I love most. How I love. You know, it's interesting that when when you look at Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38, it's a passage that we know well, and Jesus says what? When he's asked the question by the lawyer, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment trying to stump Jesus, trying to trick Jesus? And Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as Yourself what is jesus saying there what he's saying is is when jesus is number one My love for others is this it's intentional And it is impactful That when jesus is number one in my life, and i'm pursuing him as my greatest treasure the byproduct of that is that my love is intentional It's impactful And it's not because of me, but it's because Jesus is number one in my life, and it allows the Holy Spirit to work in and through me. Because how I love others reveals who I love most. Now think about this. When Jesus is not number one, when Jesus is not at the top of the priority in my heart, here's what my love is. It's lazy and it's lacking. When Jesus is not number one in your life, your love is lazy and it's lacking. Think about it. If, I, if you answer the question that, man, I've looked at this past week, and I'm like, hmm. If I'm going to look at that definition of love and look how I loved this past week, I would say, man, I missed the mark. And here's why. Because I can promise you, you can trace it back to, you know what, this past week I did not live my life in such a way that Jesus was number one. And because Jesus wasn't number one, my love was lazy And it was lacking. It wasn't motivated out of the other person. It was motivated selfishly. Think about this. Nobody writes books with this title, How to Love Yourself Selfishly. I encourage you, go to Amazon and look. Now, there's plenty of books that say, talk about loving yourself, but I've never found a book that says, How to Love Yourself Selfishly why because nobody needs to read it I don't need to read that My wife can tell you I don't need to read that You don't need to read that And so what I want to do is we get into this passage of scripture and read it Is just answer this question this morning simply how do you and I love? So would you look at it with me look at verse 16 John says this by this We know love By what? That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, Jesus or or John is writing this passage of scripture to believers, and he's first talking about how we should love our fellow brother in Christ. But at the same time, I think we can take this passage of Scripture principally and not just apply it to how I love my brother in Christ and those who have accepted Jesus Christ or my brothers and sisters, but I can even apply it to how I love those who may not even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do I love? According to verse 16, here's the first thing. Acknowledge Jesus as the standard. If I'm going to love... According to our definition with this willing, self-sacrificing, loving willingly, self-sacrificing for the good of another without any strings attached. And listen, that's not possible in and of my own strength. Why? Because I love selfishly. You love selfishly. And that's why John says, hey, you want to know the definition of love? You want to know what love is? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers. That the motivation for me to love, according to our definition, is acknowledging that Jesus is the standard. He's the definition of love. We don't have time to look at all the different passages of scripture, but if you want to know how to love others, who do you look to? You look to how Jesus did it. Guys, you want to know how to love your wife? You look at how Jesus did it. You want to know how to love those that you are in relationship with? You look at how Jesus did it. You want to know how to love the Lord? You look at how Jesus did it. He's the standard. He's the definition of love. And there's passages all over the scripture that testify to that reality. And it's interesting to me, there's a word there that I encourage you to circle in verse 16. It's that word, know. By this, we know. It's a very interesting word. Here's what it means. It refers to a knowledge that has been gained through diligent contemplation. In other words, it's a knowledge that you've gained when you've really thought about that thing. Like you know it because you've contemplated it. It's in the forefront of your mind. You've chewed on it. It's an acquired understanding. And the way and the tense in which it's written has this idea that it emphasizes, when John says, by this we know love, it's the idea, and he's speaking to someone who's had an encounter with Jesus that has ongoing results in their life and affects the way that they love. It's a lot in that little word, no, isn't there? And here's what John is saying. If I'm going to love the way that Jesus wants me to love, willingly self-sacrificing for the good of another without any strings attached, because how I love others reveals who I love most, if I'm going to love that way, then I have to acknowledge Jesus as the standard. And that means... Back to what I said earlier that Jesus is the number one priority in my life, that I'm pursuing Him as my greatest treasure, that I'm in His Word every day, that I'm on my knees and I'm calling out to Him every day, praying for Him to intervene in the things that I'm asking Him to do, that I, He's number one, that I am growing in my knowledge of who He is, that I'm contemplating on how He loves me, that I'm reminding myself, wait a minute, His love is what has changed my life so much so that I desire to love others. That's an idea. I think back to kindergarten. Not for some of you that's longer than others, but think back to kindergarten. And I think back to kindergarten, and I remember there was this girl that I used to sit next to in kindergarten. I don't even remember her name. But I remember her because of this. I remember when we would have coloring time, or we would would draw stuff. I remember what I would do is I would take the picture, and I'd... And I'd ask for another piece of paper, and I would take that other piece of paper because I wanted to get as close to that picture as possible because, honestly, if you just want to, you're still getting to know me, right? Because, you know, the t- I knew the teacher put all the papers on the wall, and I wanted my picture to be the best. It reveals a lot about me. But. So I remember I would take that p- piece of paper, and I would lay it on top of the picture that we're supposed to color, and you know what I would do? What would I, I'd trace it. Because I wanted to get as close to the picture as possible. And I remember there was this girl. Man, what a bratty little girl. She was this girl, and she's sitting next to me. And you know what I would do? I would be like, I'd be so proud of the picture that I had. And she'd be like, you know what she would say? That's no good. You traced it. You know what I would want to say? Well, look at your picture. You should have traced it. <laughs> Why did I do that? I knew that I was not good enough in my writing to, in my drawing, I should say, to be able to look at that picture and to be able to draw it myself. So I said, well, then it makes sense for me to put the paper over it and trace it so I can get as close to the original as possible. I didn't care that I traced it. Why? Because my picture was going to look better than someone who didn't. And what John is saying is, is, here's our example. Here's the standard by which we love. And it's, it's this idea that we ought not to want to try to love in our own way, because when we try to love in our own way, it's always going to end up being selfishly motivated because that's our nature. But when Jesus is number one, and I'm pursuing him as my greatest treasure, the result is that I'm looking to him for my, not only my faith in and of myself, but my practice in how I love others. When I do that, when I desire to know what love is and know who Jesus is, the byproduct is, is that I'm going to love in such a way that it demonstrates how Jesus loved me. We've got to acknowledge Jesus as the standard. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 17. It says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Here's the second one we love. Assess how you are loving others. Evaluate it. Ask yourself that question. How am I loving others? Not just inside my household. Not just inside this church. But how am I loving others? Outside of this place. Outside of my home. Because John like lays down the gauntlet here. He literally says like, if you aren't loving selflessly, then you got to check your heart and say, how in the world can I live selfishly when, when Jesus has loved me selflessly so in other words he says if I'm living my life that way it's a total contradiction and it begs me to question how in the world can God's love abide in me if I'm loving others selfishly and so it's written in such a way that it ought to jog our memory and John writes it in that way to jog his readers memory as a wake up call that it doesn't make sense it's not possible for me to have received Jesus Christ as my lord and savior and to consistently and habitually not care for others because God's love has changed me the holy spirit lives inside of me i mean isn't that what paul says in galatians 5:22 the fruit of the spirit and what does he first say is what it's love and so, if we're going to throw down this gauntlet and say, man, we need to assess how I'm loving others. I need to assess how I'm loving others. Like, I need to, to keep a short leash on that and how I'm loving others because it's so important for me as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a few questions to ask yourself. Think about it. When you go to the doctor, what do they oftentimes do? Right? They have a checklist, right? Check your weight, check your height. Check your blood pressure, take your blood, check your pulse. Why are they doing that? They're checking the vital signs because if you have no blood pressure and you have no pulse, then we're deep weeds, right? So they have ways to check vitals. Let me give you some of these things that I think are questions that we can ask ourselves to assess how we're loving others. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, how often am I doing something for someone without any gain for myself? Like, how often? How often am I doing something for someone without any gain for myself? Here's a second one. When is the last time I have served someone outside of my home without being asked? When's the last time? Here's a third one. Do I know my neighbors' names and am taking initiative to establish a relationship with them? Like, do you even know your neighbors' names? There's some neighbors in our neighborhood, and it's only one street, and I have yet to know some of their names. Do I know my neighbors' names? Like, now, I will say this. I've been impressed with the friendliness of North Carolina over Naples, Florida. Because we actually had people come to our door first, where usually it's the opposite. But the reality is, is I wonder how many of us, do we know our neighbor's names? Understanding, wait a minute, I'm not in that neighborhood by mistake. God has sovereignly placed me there to show the love of deeds. Of Jesus, not just with my mouth, but also with my action. Do I know my neighbor's names? am I even trying to build a relationship with them? Here's the last question. We could have many. I thought these were questions that I think could help us evaluate our hearts. Here's the last one. Am I making excuses for why I cannot show love to others? Because I bet there's some of us out in this crowd, and I'm gone through those questions, and you're you were evaluating the, yourself in those questions, and what you know what you're already doing? Starting to make excuses. That's why I wrote that last question. Because that's my heart. Am I making excuses for why I cannot show love to others? Because John gives us this reminder that ought to wake all of us up out of maybe our slumber in. And the beautiful opportunities that we may just pass by all the time when he says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It doesn't make sense is what John was saying. When we have received so much from Jesus, how would we not want to show that love to others that are in need? Here's the last thing. I just acknowledge Jesus as the standard. Assess how you're loving others. But here's the third thing, and I from I see from this passage of scripture and answering that question how do you and I love? How you and I willingly self sacrifice for the good of another without any strings attached. Here's the third thing. It's found in verse 18. Apply what you know and have received. Apply it. Look at what it says in verse 18. Little children. That's not a put down. It's actually a term of endearment. Little children, let us not, circle that word, not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What John is saying is, listen, apply and do what you received. Apply it. It does no good for you just to know it. Do something with it. Love is so much more an action than a feeling. It's so much more of an action than a feeling. And think about Jesus in his ministry. I mean, Hebrews talks about that we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus gave us the example. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Remember, acknowledging Jesus as the standard. That's what we see in Verse 16. Jesus gave us the perfect example of what it looks like to love. Because what did Jesus do? He just didn't go to the spiritual need, though the spiritual need was definitely the most important need. But what would Jesus countlessly do? He would meet the physical need. He would meet the emotional need. And in either meeting the physical need or the emotional need, he would do that so that he could meet the ultimate need, the spiritual need. Think about the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, she had an emotional need. And Jesus met that emotional need to let her know, listen, I accept you, not your sin, but you as a person. Remember, she was a Sumerian. He was a Jew. That was totally taboo. But Jesus met her emotional need so that she would be open to the spiritual need. Think about Zacchaeus. Remember that story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19? This little, little guy who was ripping everybody off, his fellow brother off. He was a tax collector. It's like the worst of the worst job for a Jew. And what did Jesus say? Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today. What was he doing with Zacchaeus? He was meeting his emotional need. He didn't have a physical need, but he met his emotional need. And because of that, Zacchaeus was changed because he was able to realize that Jesus was the answer to his greatest need. Think about blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. He's blind. He had a physical need. Jesus heals that physical need and changes his spirit, changes him spiritually forever. Think about the centurion and his servant. And that centurion that comes to Jesus and his servant is dying, and his servant actually dies, and Jesus raises him back to life in Luke 7. I say all that to say this: that Jesus gave the example of what it means to. To love, not only in word and, de- word and talk, but actually in deed and in truth. John 13, 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We've all heard this phrase, right? Finish this phrase for me. You ready for this? Here it is. People don't know, people don't want to know what you know until they know how much you What? Yeah, care. Care. Listen to me. We've been getting the greatest, the greatest answer to man's greatest need. We've been getting the greatest answer to man's greatest need. And it's not meant to be kept to ourselves. I mean, you think about it. Somebody loved you enough to share with you what Jesus has done for you. Someone loved you enough. Some of you that could have been your parents, some of that grandparents, some of that co-workers, some of that maybe someone in a ministry somewhere, but someone loved you enough to tell you about how Jesus has met your greatest need. And listen, think about this. It probably, you probably received that message because they first demonstrated a love that you haven't experienced before. And we go into this Crash the Dash week, and we have so many, we'll have so many opportunities to show, to demonstrate through deed and through truth that my motivation for doing these things, these projects, whatever it is, is not so that I can go home and feel better about myself. That's not the type of love that we talked about. It's not so that I can ease my conscience on the guilt that I feel because I'm like, man, I have loved selfishly. No, no, that's not the motivation. If that's the motivation, then that, that's about you. But the motivation, according to this passage of Scripture that we've looked at this morning, the motivation for me to love others is because of what, how Jesus has loved me. That's my motivation. I mean, think about it. If you are on the side of a boat and you have this life preserver and you see someone drowning, this life preserver is only as good as the way in which it is used. See, if someone's drowning and I got this life preserver and I just got it around my neck or whatever it is and I'm walking around the boat, this life preserver does no one any good. Why? Because I actually have to use this, which has the ability to save someone who is drowning, but I have to use it in order for it to be useful. And we've been given the greatest message in all the world. The only message that can meet every man and every woman and every child's spiritual need the only message Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way the truth the life no one comes to the father except through me and the means by which God desires us to throw out this message That it has the means to save someone for all of eternity. The means is is our love My love is what compels me to throw out this the way in which I love Allows this message to be sweet now listen to me god's the one who saves And if I don't throw out this life raft that has saved me God will find someone else because god's going to save who's god's going to save But I miss out on the opportunity And we have an amazing opportunity this week To do What this passage of scripture Says to not just love with our lips But to love with our hands to love with our feet, to love with our wallets. And so here's our response this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss everybody. No closing song. And I'm going to dismiss everyone. And crisis control is a place that we partner with every year and throughout the year. And the ushers at the doors are going to have list of the needs that crisis control has. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss we're going to leave this place. We're going to grab those lists. And Lowe's Grocery Store just down the road on Robin Hood Road is ready for us. we got a truck there. The grocery store is ready for us. The workers are ready for us. And we're going to leave this place. And we're going to take those lists. And we're going to buy those items on that list. And we are going to love in deed and in truth. You got that? And the church isn't paying for this. This is you saying, I'm going to love selflessly. I'm going to take my means. That means I may not eat out this week. That means my menu's got to look different this week. But what an amazing opportunity we're going to have just in a moment to leave these doors and go be the church. To minister to those people in Lowe's that are going to think to themselves, I've never seen this before. What in the world is this? To minister to the people that chose a bad day to do their grocery shopping this morning because the place is going to be packed out. They're going to be able to see, man, what's this going on? To be able to minister to the workers at Lowe's. To be able to minister to the managers at Lowe's. To be able to minister to those that are going to receive all of these groceries in a truck tomorrow when we unload it at crisis control. They're going to be able to minister to the people that are going to receive those goods. Yeah, we're getting real practical this morning. We're going to apply verse... 18, we're going to love not only in deed or in word, but in deed and in truth. You guys ready? Let me pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you today, Lord, for the reminder that we have that by this and this alone we know love. By what you have done for us, God, we thank you that you are the standard, that Jesus is the standard. God, help us not to wander away from that. Help us to trace that in our lives. Help us to have you as our number one priority so that we can love others in our household, our spouses, our children, those that we date, whatever, every relationship, Lord. But not only inside of this church and inside of our home, but our neighbor's. And people that are less fortunate. So God, would you guide our feet? Would you guide our steps as we walk out of this place right now to go be the church? Would you allow us to have an amazing opportunity to demonstrate the gospel as we go into that Lowe's grocery store? And God, would you use everything that is given to build a bridge so that we can share the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ? God, we thank you for this opportunity today, for yesterday, for this week, and throughout this ministry year as we look for ways to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go. Let's go.